this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Before we dive into this thing, make sure you head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at the Hop Nerd, except for Twitter because it is super duper special. It is the Hop Nerd one. Send me an email to Sam, that's S A M, Sam at thehopnerd.com or thehopnerd at gmail.com. Slide into the DMs, shoot me a note, use that handy dandy cell phone number to shoot me a text, send me a message, leave me a voicemail. Give me a call, all that kind of fun stuff. We're doing those really fun live shows. You can use that number to call in. That happens every Wednesday at 5, every Friday at 8. Uh, if you don't have time to call in and you want us to answer your question, leave me a voicemail or shoot me a text. We'll use that on the air. Today is super duper cool because it is part two of my conversation with Ian Allison and Nate Brayman. So here we go. We're going to jump right in, finish this thing up. Here we go. Times you're kind of banging your head against the wall, and you're just like, "My goodness, we can't." Right. You know. Well, and, and some of those folks that you do end up with, right? Uh, how many? It's kind of back to your point, Nate, and I don't mean to keep circling back to it, but you made a really good point as defining what a sage professional actually is, right? Yeah. So, um, so often we end up with just compliance professionals, right? I think that you, you end up with a really highly trained sage professional that they're really just good at the regs sometimes, and that's just a yep. very small piece. And extremely small, I think. I mean, that should be. I mean, that should be your real, the really probably the smallest piece of your job, right? You should kind of get that stuff down and have that down. That shouldn't be too much of a problem. It's more into kind of where we're going now, I think. And that's a question that I like to. I've been asking a lot of folks more recently: is what's the evolution of the safety professional? And I, I, we don't have a very clear definition of, okay, I guess, what one is. <laughs> but where do you think we go? I mean, what, what's where? What are we looking for in the safety professional of the future? Well, it's, it's not just what it is. It's also what position it should hold in the company. Hmm. You know, like um, with a firefighting background, uh, incident command structure sure. uh, is what I kind of lean toward. In the, in the, in the incident command structure, you have the, the IC, the incident commander at the top. And then right below that is the safety, uh, the safety rep or the safety officer. Right. And uh, I really like that because that's putting it up. They don't put it under operations. They don't put it under finance. You know, they don't they don't put it under any any other spot because, you know, you end up with all these conflicts of interest. You, you want to put safety as a priority. You need safety to have a voice. Like I, I think one of the biggest pieces of being a safety champion. I like to use the word safety champion, not safety professional, right. but safety champion must have marketing skills, mm. which is really a form of communication. Um, you know, I said communication is a cornerstone of learning. Yeah. Learning is a heart of safety. Right. And so you need to have, be able to have a voice. So you need to be able to have a voice to the person that's steering the ship. And you need to be able to effectively communicate in a marketing sense to the frontline employees. So it's not just about what you are. It's about where you are in an organization. I think that's excellent. Um, that's so hard because that yeah. that list. I'm just thinking about that job description in my head. Right. What a random set of things to have to be <laughs> demonstrate competency well, in. But it's it's so true because I mean when I really think about really good safety folks, um, 
it really is kind of a hodgepodge of a bunch of different stuff. If you look at, at most of our backgrounds, I, I know Nate, you're talking about firefighting, a couple other things. I, I relate to you there a little bit. And we all kind of have this weird bunch of skill set that's come together. Mm-hmm. That's kind of put us into this position of at least being successful in safety. Right. And, and, and yeah. I was, I was reading about this uh, on one of my live streams I did uh, the other night. I was, I was reading about this article for this, uh, this murder house flip. I don't know if you guys have seen this show that's coming mm-hmm. out, but it's a, it's a murder house flip and it's, it's right up my alley. That's like my kind of show. <laughs> it's like, it's exactly that. It's like Chip and Joanna Gaines meets the Manson family ranch. Like it's, it's super, it's super <laughs> cool. Um, but they, they said like this, this coat, like I was reading this line from, it's like this colorful cast of spiritual healers, expert designers and something else. I'm sitting there thinking like, that sounds like my resume. <laughs> you know, like that, that sounds like the resume of a really good safety professional, spiritual healer, expert design, blah, oh, blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 you know, blah. Like it is kind of sort of that. It is a hodgepodge of a bunch of different things that usually come together to make an amazing safety professional. Mm-hmm. And how you write that job description, I. <laughs> unless, I think, unless you've even gone through academia as a safety pro, you don't even know what's out there. Right. I know. I know that for. When I when I finally decided to go down the route, studying right. you know uh, studying for the ASP CSP, mm-hmm. there was some stuff I was you know finally studied for the first time, and I'm just like I'm supposed to know this. Right. I didn't know I was supposed to know right. all of this. Like there was a lot, a lot of information, yeah. like a lot, a lot. I'm just like my goodness, like there there you really had to be a jack of all trades. But from a safety, I think what makes a good safety professional is customer service. Sure, you know, yeah. yeah, I think that while marketing is very important, you need to every facet, I think ultimately it's customer service because you, you have to be willing to say, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. Because if you're in a lab with some somebody doing a research project and it's way above your head and you're like, hey, is this safe or am I going to be fine? You're like, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. <laughs> right. And then that's where you go back to fall, fall back on your ability to you know, discern whether it's whether it's a group of people or resources you have at your disposal, but you're going to go find the answer. I think you really have to be uh, resourceful because a lot of times you're on an island. You know, you're you're the lone safety person, right. and you are your own resource. You are your own kind of consult only consultant. So you really need to build that kind of uh, team sure. justice league of right. safety pros yeah. to lean on to where it's just like, hey, go. I don't know IH, but I know a real good IH person I can call about this. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, that's that's the great thing about having a platform is that you can help these people who probably at one point or another uh, feel very alone. Mm. And at some time, at some point, they probably feel somewhat lost um, in over their heads, intimidated um, or just, you know, just disconnected from others, uh, especially in safety. There's a lot of one man teams out there. And yeah. Uh, you know that that's the beautiful thing about the Safety Justice League is that we really want to focus on bringing good quality information out to people without making them pay money for it. Like right. We're not going to say, right. "Oh, if you want to get this information, you, it, you know, and maybe a couple letters behind your name, you're going to have to pay us this much to go through this class." Like that's not what mm-hmm. we're about at all. Like what we we believe, um, and I know you guys, you know, you're doing the same thing, um, yeah. is getting the good ideas out there. Like. Get them in the hands of the people because that's the right thing to do. Exactly. Right through the yeah. lens of principle, that is the right thing to do. Right. No, and I think that's something that's phenomenal. I mean, um, 
I've had all of you on now yet, so that's a spoiler alert for folks that are listening to this, that Abby will be on in a few weeks. So her episode will be out pretty soon. So I've officially had all of the Safety Justice League that's awesome. on, on the podcast. We were scheming on how we're going to get all of you all of you folks together at the same time to do one, which would be a blast. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to have you on ours, maybe. Yeah, that's what we were talking about, maybe like simulcasting it on both. That would mm. be the kind of oh, thing. So yeah. that, I'm lazy, man, so I think that would be the easy thing. Sure. <laughs> But Two I, birds with one stone there. Right, yeah. But I think it's awesome because it, it it is exactly that. I think that that's something that's overlooked a bunch. I've worked for some really, really massive companies in my career um, as a safety pro. And you are, even with those massive companies, it seems like even more so, um, you are thrown out there into the middle of nowhere. Uh, and you, this, you might work for an organization that has 400 safety professionals altogether, right? I can, I can, I'm thinking of an organization I work for that had 400 safety professionals that have zero communication with each other, right? And you are yeah. the lone person out there that you might report to a safety manager that's a thousand miles away. Um, and your, most of your accountability is dotted line to a site manager or something like that, you know, for the organization you work for. Uh, and you don't have those resources to lean on. So I think having folks out there like the Safety Justice League, like you guys, um, to where you can just ask a question is pretty freaking cool. Like, I, th- I think that's kind of cool. Well, don't you think – here's another thing. Here's another barrier. <laughs> you know, this is kind of harkening back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast about communication, how important that is, and facilitating, right? Mm-hmm. So communication – and I've talked about this a lot on LinkedIn. It's kind of one of my um, – you know, one of my kind of, I kind of hammer this on, on this point a lot, but I think communication is a lot harder than what we really think it is. Right. You know, like the, I, I read a stat that uh, when you're speaking to a group, there's only about a third of that group that's actually listening to you at any given moment because people are just falling in and out of being distracted and, right. <laughs> you know, and so how do you communicate? So think about this. Like, so it's like, it's like um, whack-a-mole, it, you know, where anytime that you're talking, People are falling out, out and missing chunks of what you're saying. Mm. And so effective communication means that you need to repeat yourself a lot. You need to say the same things again and again and again right. and again. Right. And that's also something where engineers tend to fall short right. is that they think, um, you know, you run, you run the program uh, and you just push the button and you say it one time and it should be, should be done. in principle, yeah. should, it should work. I already told them. Right. And I'm telling you, like, because I work with um, so many people in so many different places, um, you know, I'll send an email and I'll be asking for one simple thing, just something, just one thing, very simple, right? I'll send it out and I'll get, I'll get maybe, if I'm lucky, 30 to 40% of a response, you know, and yeah, then yeah. of that 30 to 40%, probably, you know, 80% of them sent it to me the wrong way. I'm just like, wow, this is, this is harder than, than I thought. Yeah. And so what you end up having to do is you say, okay, this is what I need. Here's a template you can fill out so that and make it as easy, easy as possible right. for them. Yeah. And then you have to send it once and then you send it again the next day or a week yeah. later or yeah. whatever. And you send many reminders and then you call everybody and you follow up and, and it, that's what it takes. And that's yeah. hard. You well, can't just do it once. It's not a one and done thing. Communication is very difficult. Yeah, and especially if you're trying to, to uh, as we, we've been talking around the road of change and all this kind of stuff, especially if you're trying to anchor anything in your organization, that's a, that's the really kind of easy, hard answer that I give folks when then they, I get tons of emails asking about hop and they ask where to start. And I always say with conversations 
And mm-hmm. I think that any time that you get the opportunity, and I'll just use hop as an example because it's kind of kind of what I talk about a bunch. <laughs> but um, anything that you really wanted to change or anchor in your organization, um, you just have to start talking about it and talking about it every single opportunity that you get. And I think you continue to grow those conversations, and they start to go places, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of to your point, Nate. I, I, I can just think to kind of my personal experiences that any time that I would, you know, as we started down some hop journey, right, um, any time that I had the opportunity to speak, it would be about hop. Right, right. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not going to miss the opportunity marketing. to talk about it. Right, you're marketing. You plug it. Yeah, constantly, constantly, over and over and over and over. That is key. And yeah, and yes. people forget that you even said it, and they start to absorb it and start to speak it too. Right, and then it well, becomes there, there theirs, a- and that's cool. I'm good with that. I like that. That's fun. Yeah. Right? You know, you know what's interesting though is nobody ever told you that that was a core competency of being a safety pro. Right, exactly. That's just trial right. and error. Right. I something exactly. I just something I just thought of is um, uh, Nate, is your is your uh, degrees of study are they in safety yes okay um, so yep occupational safety i'd be curious uh and maybe you you would know a whole lot better than me how far apart or how close are disciplines of study across universities i think a part of the problem in defining safety is you know our own fault uh, we can't make up our mind as to what's important because right. i think you could ask uh, any safety pro, like what makes a good safety person? We're not going to come up with the same definition. Yeah, we're all three going to have different definitions. Yeah, and so I, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking we're talking about importance of communication. Mm-hmm. I would think you would want to have a communication class as like one of your core electives sure. or an elective option. 100%. You know, and then the same with uh, even just a basic finance class because you got to speak ROI at some point when you're right. trying to pitch programs, you're trying to pitch program um, right. shifts in your organization. But we don't do that, you know. It, it sucks. Cause I'm working on my MBA now. I see all these parallels of uh, in my when I was a safety person. Like, man, wish I knew that. Wish I knew that. Even just basic business language. So when I'm, because as a safety per- person, we're sitting in management meetings. Mm-hmm. We read our safety management slides, and for the next three hours, we're sitting there. We're like, I don't understand any <laughs> of this information that they're talking about. Yeah. I just, you know, I don't know why they make me sit through the rest of this. But now, YouTube, it is sitting through those meetings. I'm just like, I understand at least maybe not all of the details, mm-hmm. but man, I understand a high level what's right, going on. Right. And I think that really makes a more engaged safety person because you can insert yourself in different parts of the organization where you normally wouldn't have been present. Right. So, so here's here's a bridge I like to draw for anybody who's still kind of wondering like what's so bad about the incident rate okay because we're talking about communication and this is this is one of the keys right this is one of the this is a cornerstone to learning learning is the heart of safety right so good comms are frequent actionable and saturating and I'm, I'm speaking in the context of like me which is corporate safety so this is typically comms that go out to all employees like i've actually in my current role i've been doing a daily safety message that goes out to all all like you know, twenty plus thousand employees uh, every day since October first of twenty twelve. Hmm. So it's been going on for a long time, wow. and so in a message like that, it's frequent, right? And it's saturating. It goes out to all employees, and it goes out every day. So those are that, that's two of the three. The third thing you need to have is that it has to be actionable. Hmm. Now, if that message only talks about the incident rate, how is that actionable? Right. Because the incident rate is something bad. It's saying, oh, by the way, this bad thing happened. Okay, but what can that specific individual person who's reading it, what can they go out and do to contribute in a positive way to that number? Right. And it's I, just like, just don't get hurt. Like, that's not I, actionable. I, I love exactly where you're going because that incident rate, you cannot operationalize it down. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's where the, the not so greatness kind of comes in with that. Because I, you hand me a slide that has the incident rates in it. 
for the company that I work for, and I'm going to say, well, what do you want me to do with that? I can't do anything about it. It's history. I can't change it. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sort of what it is. It's history. We're looking at history. Yeah, it's a point in time. So, what are we right, doing now? It's, it's How exactly are we doing that. right now? Yeah, it's exactly that. What do you want me to do with that? So I think your point that you're bringing up about it being actionable is huge. Yeah. Um, and I, I had had a conversation with the, uh, with the awesome Josh Bryant not too long ago. And it would have his, I could just hear the pride in his voice when he was talking about this. And I loved it. Talking about going out to, uh, he works for Mitchell services, which is a drilling organization over in Australia. And he was talking about going out to the drill rigs and, and you could ask the question about incident rates for them. It's TRIF. Um, and it's no one could even define to you what it is at the point of the organization. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's, that's exactly what we want. I don't want someone to worry about what's recordable or what the instant rate is. I hope they really don't care. I hope they care yeah. about what's going on right now. Yeah. Right. So I thought exactly. that was so cool you know, that organi- that organization turned it in the opposite direction. He's basically saying, you know, we track it. It goes up and it goes to our, our shareholders, does that kind of stuff. We look at it, but it's not something that we push out to our organization. We just don't do that. And something I said to Sam earlier uh, in the podcast uh, that we did that hasn't been released yet was safety is one of the few organizations where we don't pare down our metrics. You know, when we're talking, let's increase shareholder value. We determine how that needs to translate from the top all the way down to the front line. When it's safety, it's OSHA recordables at the C-suite. It's OSHA recordables at the front line. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't get hurt. And yeah. I think it's a huge disservice. And thankfully, that story that you told me about. Um, if the front line has no line of sight to what that metric is composed of, that's right. a, that's ideal. You know, they they just need to be concerned about what's what they can do about their own environment, their sphere of influence, how they can impact yeah. you know posterity and their current work environment. Right, and even as you push that down through, I mean, again, it's it's still back to that point of 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 kind of looking at the positive, looking at what we are doing, not not necessarily what we're not doing, right? What's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of examples out there. I won't necessarily dive, dive down that rabbit hole too far, but the one that I'd shared with you before, Ian, um, was this example that I had seen kind of based off of the uh, hierarchy of controls, um, which is really good for kind of kind of leadership teams to examine other than OSHA recordables, talking about where our actual, from our learnings, where our fixes fall on that hierarchy of controls. And yep. it really shocks organizations when they see that the vast majority of what they do um, are not very, it's not very robust usually falls into paper processes and kind of stuff like that. Um, so I think that's kind of back to metrics driving va- behaviors that are more valuable. Mm-hmm. That would be a more value valuable behavior. behavior, right? I mean, value, to, value to, behaviors. Exactly. Exactly. It would be something that more of, okay, well maybe we should not have 90% of our corrective ac- actions as, as administrative controls around the stuff that yeah, kills like, us. <laughs> what, tell them, tell them what they can do to contribute in a positive way to safety. Right. I think that was something that, that um, Ian had kind of mentioned um, that we would get to spend some time with Todd, with Todd Conklin not too long ago. Um, and that's a blast. If you, if you haven't got to hang out with Todd, you totally should. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, 100%. Um, just don't take him to a payway. And I'll tell you guys a story about that offline. Um, <laughs> but but he, he had challenged us uh, to that. Is If you want leaders to do something different, tell them what to do. You can't just throw out all this crap and say, okay, now I'm going to figure it out. Support right, exactly. them and tell them what you want them to do differently. And you have to yes. give them metrics that tell them what to do differently as well. You can't just give them a, a, an OSHA recordable rate and say, well, now go not have that anymore. Because yeah. the first right. question that comes out of their mouth is, this, great, now what do we do? Yeah. You know, the, well, it's you, the red beat experiment. The, the right. cell, yes, the making the cell isn't that difficult because yeah. once you lay this out in a logical uh Argument, you know, nice, you know, nice PowerPoint. You get your yeah. presentation all polished. It's pretty easy to get people to 
Um, and I'd say pretty easy. Yeah. If they're not 100% set already, that's yeah. different. Yeah. But it's pretty easy to get them to see how achieving a ceiling, you know, chasing a ceiling is, is a fallacy. You're not actually chasing safety performance. Right. You're just chasing a number. And um, it's real easy to make that switch. However, the first thing they ask, and if you're not ready for it, you lose all credibility is, great, so what do we do instead? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's, I, you know, and this is another red beard rule of life. Okay. It's, uh, it's always better to stand for something than it is to stand against something. And that's what the incident rate is. It's like, okay, we have to, we're standing against, uh, incidents and we just, we, we, we're, we don't want people to get hurt and we're against that. It's like, okay, but that's counterintuitive when it comes to what's actionable about it. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, a good analogy is when you're, when you're at a bar and you're, you know, you're drinking beer and your beer is almost empty. Love it already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd like this. Uh, what do you say to the bartender when you need more beer? Right. Do you say, Oh, Hey bartender, can you please, remo- can you please remove the negative space from my glass? Hmm. Like, cause that's what the incident rate would be. Mm-hmm. Cause those are the things you don't want. Right. So you're saying, I don't want my glass to be empty. I don't want to have incidents. So let's not do that. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive. And you would say, uh, fill her, fill her up, right? Do this, put more beer in my glass. And that's what, um, well, you know, Sam said it, valued behaviors. It's, that's a leading indicator. You know, people hear the word leading indicator. It's a jargon. They don't know what that means. What does that mean? Right. right? It is a, any valued behavior, any, right. anything at all that somebody can go out and then like on this message that goes out every day to every employee, if you, you know, anyone listening has something like that, how awesome would it be? is if if they can see that number they report one the next day it goes up by one Hmm. right Right. i mean as opposed to the incident rate which they could do nothing and still the incident rate is going to be the same right they can do nothing about it it blows my mind that that leading indicators goes over people's heads they're like how are we supposed to track that it's just like we all we (laughs) let like a leading indicator is the same as a lagging like you think about like the only reason we can track injuries so easily is because we've all agreed on a set of criteria and so everybody and their mother knows like oh it falls into that bucket so it's a it's this kind of event we can do the same thing with leading indicators you can but what why okay but i'll step back a second why does everything have to be counted exactly that's that's the other thing call that the church of counting things so that's another engineer uh curse that we have the church of counting things. Right. Why? Why? It, there are things, look, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can mm-hmm. be counted counts. Yes. And we're, we are short selling ourselves if we say we can't do it unless we can count yeah. it. And so it's, it's still happening even if you're not counting But from the, so <laughs> exactly. 100% I completely acknowledge yeah. that. But from a, from a business standpoint, how do you tell somebody you don't, okay, you measure everything in your business by some measure except for safety. Right. No, that's not true, though, because, okay, again, step back and let's take the 30,000-foot viewpoint. We are measuring safety. Okay, that is what the recordable incident rate is good for, right? So we don't have to count everything that's going in upstream. Like, don't worry about it. Do the right things. Don't worry about it, whether or not you can count it because, you know, don't let, don't let perfect stand in the way of good upstream on the inputs. Now, if, if those things that we're doing upstream results in a lower incident rate, which, by the way, shouldn't you should keep that in your back pocket, and you shouldn't be advertising that. That should be just for the executives to see what's working upstream. Yep. But we are counting it with the incident rate. But it's just there's two pieces to this to this coin. There's two sides to this coin. 
right? So we are through the incident rate. Don't worry about tracking the inputs so much if, if you can't. If you can, that's great. But if not, don't worry about it. How much How much do you think the overfocus on kind of the tracking, and I'll, I'll even pick on leading indicators a little bit, um, has resulted from the overfocus on prevention? Oh, big time. Because I, I think that's what I see is a lot of times we, we, we count and we want, to, we want to count and count and count harder because we feel like we can forecast things. Well, it's not um, just for forecasting, though. It comes back to optics, you know. Yep, like I'm going sure. to rail on this again. It's good optics to say, look what we've done. Right. Oh, look look at all we've done. You know, like I, I was sitting in on these meetings that were going, you know, like every – I think there was up to like 70 of these meetings where we were talking about, um, you know, these bad events that have happened, like uh, where, you know, mm-hmm. someone could have gotten like a SIF event kind of thing. Yeah. And at the end of the uh, – like two years of doing this, every week – for hours and hours with lots of people on the call, uh, we ended up uh, doing um, at at a, at a conference. We we had uh, these clickers and passed off the clickers. and And one of the uh, safety uh, leads at one of the businesses said, "Out of all of the probably I don't know two hundred or three hundred SIF events that occurred and the lessons learned uh, that came out of them, who implemented anything?" Anything at all? Who successfully implemented anything based on these lessons learned? And it was like almost nothing. Right. <laughs> and so it's really nice when you're filing a report that gets your, you know, that you can say, "I've accomplished all of this, therefore pay me a hundred percent of my end of year incentive payout." Right. You know, it's it, it all comes back to the facades. Like, it, it's do you really want to do the right things, or you just want to look look good? Right. You know. So. That's a little bit of a sore spot for me, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> just a little bit. Not just for Kinda you, but pisses friend. me off. Yeah, not, not, no. just, not just for you. We- <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think with anything, just like what you said with OSHA recordables, with it, you know, you really need to be responsible with mm-hmm. how you use it and who you share it with. And I think that the, you know, examples like actionable close calls, you know, or just what you said, you know, did you take action? I think there's 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 a lot of value to be attained in right. tracking those but really it's about like what you do with that information and who's tracking it for what purpose because right. if it's if it's coming from upward and you're using i think if you're right. a safety person kind of tracking that in a vacuum uh-huh. and you're just kind of like hey i think we could improve on the amount of like uh on our on our implementations post sif or what, what whatever it is we could improve on right. our communication right. we could improve on whatever whatever leading indicator we're tracking um, I think that, like we kind of play those, you know, close to the vest, and then use right. that as our own kind of tool. But do, well, do you guys we, play video games at all? Hundred percent. Okay, so like you know, the video games aren't quite the same as they were when we were kids, right? right? Like back, I remember I played this game called Vindicators. It was a Nintendo Entertainment, you know, yeah, like a, yeah, no yeah, Super yeah. Nintendo. Was it Super Nintendo? No, it was it was NES. Yeah. And you drive these little tanks, and has cool music. And I used to play with my brother, my big brother, <clears throat> and it's just like good memories for me, right? And, and I love playing the game, but it was so freaking impossibly hard. And so um, we ended up getting a Game Genie. Remember that thing? Yeah. Game Genie? <laughs> yeah. So you plug the, the the cartridge into the Game Genie, You plug the ga- and then you plug the Game Genie into the to this console, mm-hmm. and then you can just, like, hack the game, essentially, and I could have an invincible tank and beat the game. Right. Okay. Now, that that was fun, but it wasn't real, and my skill of being able to play that game well 
went to complete shit. Right. Because I was using a hack. I was using a cheat code. Now, here's, here's one of the pitfalls. I know there's power in measuring and continuous improvement. I get that. But here's one of the pitfalls. One of the pitfalls is, is at some point, especially when you have this uh, conflict of interest where maybe you don't want to look bad because the numbers look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get away with maybe not reporting something you don't want to be in there. Or you, maybe right. you, know, you start, you get this practical drift. You, know, you, 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 you make the number look a little bit better and then you make it look a little more, more better. And then eventually you're just falsifying the number. You're, you're using the game genie on your numbers (laughs) okay and then it and then what good is that to anybody and that's where the optics thing comes in if if you are dealing with a culture that is all about optics don't don't count anything because you will go down that pitfall eventually you will it's like a slippery slope kind of thing yeah and i've I've, that's kind of where i was going it was kind of similar to that with the with even uh, just some of the leading indicators conversation or just metrics in general um, so many organizations, we, we end up in this place to where the only questions that we ask, it's just one, really, is how did we fail to prevent? Um, how do you move an organization past that question? Because that seems to be where we focus at. Our investigations focus there. Our legal questions focus on that. Everything focuses on how do we miss this? How do we fail to prevent it? Rather than how did we, uh, how do we not plan for this and just absorb the outcome mm-hmm. or minimize the outcome? So I, th- I think our metrics kind of drive us there too, right? I think that's kind of where we go. So I, I, right. I don't know. I think I think that uh, even to your point, Ian, around kind of uh, actionable close calls, um, I've started to embrace more of this kind of model of learning rich things. Yeah, because not all close calls are learning rich, and not all close calls deserve action. Um, I think overreaction is probably to to a detriment. Right? If we mm-hmm. have a, a close call that we produce a bunch of action out of that really didn't deserve it, I guess would be mm-hmm. the right way to put it. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting because I, we we most organizations I can I can think to to several right, where if anything happens we believe that there has to be a long list of corrective actions that goes along with that. Yeah, that's always a pain painful thing of like oh this report doesn't feel heavy enough go 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 right. dig some more. And I think that's a hard thing for an organization to accept to say well we don't we shouldn't really do anything here. Yeah, and it's even t- it's even tough for me just to to wrap my head around. Well, the corrective action thing, that was easy because I was on the uh, part of it where it's just like, hey, we're using a tool that's not allowing me to dig into what I need to yeah, dig into. Yeah. And this is this is as good as I, as far as I could go with what I was given. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And so it was really easy for me to, when I heard that, like not every uh, incident needs a corrective action. I was like, preach, brother. Yeah. Okay, 100%. <laughs> and I think for, in, in I think just because of the world that I've been raised in in my career, mm-hmm. You know, metrics have been such a key part of that. It's so, and 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 everything that we've tried to push have always been like, well, how are you going to measure that? How are you going to measure that? So it's real hard for me to yeah. kind of revert to a point where, like, oh, you just don't measure because, like, the, right. the 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 whole concept of measuring is flawed to begin with. There's right. a lot of there's a lot of pitfalls in it, mm-hmm. and I agree with exactly. that. But to revert from measuring everything to measuring nothing, like I think that's no, I think I think that, you that, get that, to that the shift point. in itself yeah. when when you're tying yeah. safety to it. I think it's difficult for an organization I, to, I think, to revert back. I think uh, I think uh, really to to Nate's point, kind of. Um, I think it's just measuring what matters, and I hope I'm getting to your point, Nate. That seemed to be where you're going with some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, is just measuring what what truly matters. I don't think going out and uh, 
as with most, I think I think most organizations can relate to this to folks out there listening that um, because we all kind of went through the ba- the wave of BBS snake oil salesmen. Yeah, um, we almost all of us has some form of observation program in our organizations. Um, that we we went down this path of like okay we do enough observations and we we bean count those enough and then we get really really cool trending graphs out of those and we can prevent mm-hmm. bad things from happening and those top three trends that everybody yeah. has it's housekeeping like, and barrier tape and and something PPE or something you know <laughs> we can finally correct things um, and I just don't think that's a really good place to measure so it's back mm-hmm. to back to measuring what's important and and understanding the way that we measure drives behaviors and a lot of times it drives behaviors that we don't right. want an observation that's- program is a really good example of that if you're if you're beating people to have a certain number they're going to give you a certain number and it's all going to be fake right and it's yeah. it's getting back to measuring what's important um, I think and- you, you you definitely flipped me that that if the uh- Leading indicators trash. Like if you're gonna mismanage mm-hmm. that, if it's not important, if it's not getting right. you to what your ultimate right. goal is, if it's to reduce the likelihood or re- reduce reduce the potential to have serious injuries, then right. um, well, it, it's it's then, then that's it goes back to our conversation about um, from from last time about what is the goal, right? You know, what's the ultimate goal of your organization, and are you tracking? Mm-hmm. Are, are what you measuring like help support that? If not, scrap it away. Because to go back to the uh, initial conversation we to the initial kind of point we were making is uh it spans outside of safety if you're measuring a bunch of things that frustrate safety pros chances are in every facet of your organization you're measuring things in every department that are like why do we measure this right right yeah and exactly and i think the I, i like to pick on observations but that's just one really easy example of of trying to measure something that drives the wrong behavior and there's a, there's a something that we can break these things apart. We can measure and we can examine and we can look without turning it into a metric. And for some reason, we don't think we <laughs> we, we could do that, right? Mm-hmm. We have to tie it to something to where we have to either stick or carrot you with the number um, or it's no good to us, right? At least that's the way it seems sometimes. That we'll say, well, if, what's the point of measuring if we don't put a carrot on one side of it and a stick on the other? Uh, and we end up turning it into a metric rather than just something that we can kind of peer at and say, well, let's see, let's take it for what it's worth. Um, again, yeah. observations are, are a great example of just how it, in re- how, how it forces someone that's their folks are going out. I'm a firm believer of this, that most organizations, if you have an, obs- an observation program, your people are going out and they're doing stuff and their your leaders are having interactions and they're fixing stuff. And that's just, you're not hearing about any of that. You're getting the ones that are easy to write up and the ones that are easy to be made up at a desk so they can get their, their two or three or whatever number you put on it out of their hair because their plate's not getting any bigger, but we're just putting more stuff on it. Yeah. So everything else just kind of falls. The peas start falling off the side of the plate, right? And and the observations are just peas. So, so you, you you end up... I hate when that happens. Right, yeah. yeah. We just got to mix everything up together and mush it up, right? But but you end up in that position to where you just get a number that will, will an organization will brag and, and tote it around and say, well, here's a graph. Look at this really shiny graph. It shows that we're, we're not really good at wearing gloves. And it's just not true. Right, you go out and then you just start counting in your head, like well, that person's wearing gloves, and that person's wearing gloves. Where's all this rampant non-compliance with gloves? Oh, it's just that we made it up because it's the first thing that comes to mind when we sit down to fill out one of these stupid ass cards. <laughs> right? so, yeah. so I think it is that it's getting back to measuring what's what matters, what's important, what drives the right behavior. If you can look at something and say, well, measuring the presence of something. Uh, and saying, well, measuring the presence of, of independent verification during lockout tagout, that's a pretty positive thing it seems like to look at, right, to make sure that that's happening. 
um, or measuring the corrective actions around sticky stuff, around stuff that kills us or potential sticky stuff, right, that actually get to essential controls. That might be something really interesting to look at that would drive better behavior rather than just how did we fail to prevent, so we've got to measure more and, and look more and, 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 and write down more and trend more, right? Well, that, that, that goes back to the lens of principle and the lens of practicality. Right. Or if, if we apply the Redbeard rule mm-hmm. of, of for life, <laughs> of that, that, number one, you know, it, we're looking at, in principle, it does make sense to measure everything. On paper, that sounds wonderful. Right. Well, we can track it and then we can whatever but you're living in a gumdrop castle if you don't move on to the next lens, which is what's practical. You know, like it sounds great to do observations. Like why wouldn't we want to know what's happening? Oh, that's great. Let's measure that. Well, you know, we've all probably heard this uh, expression that what, what gets measured gets done, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, people are creatures of consequence. Like we've been discussing this entire time. And so if we are not looking at, what's going to happen, like what actually does happen when it is applied practically and we're only just thinking about and defending it on paper or in principle, we're, then we might as well just get back on our unicorn and fly to our gumdrop castle right. and we won't actually know what's happening. Just like, just like what you said, that it's going to be pencil whipped, it's going to be trash. You're going to get, you're going to get um, junk in and you're going to get junk and then your, your tables, it, the whole thing is going to be just a complete wash and it's all going to be because of the church of counting things. Right, and it really ends up with what gets measured gets manipulated. Exactly. Right. That, that's exactly. real. That's really where it ends up at. Um, because again, if you ask someone to give you, a, a, you know, we pick on zero, so I won't say zero. I say like two. If you ask somebody to give you two, they're going to give you two. Right. That's they're going to be somewhere close to two. Right. They're, you're not going to get much more. You're not going to get much less. You're, you're going to get around two. If you ask people to give you a zero, they'll eventually give you a zero. Right. Folks will deliver on whatever kind of target right. you set for them. Um, but again, it's back to understanding that. It's just not real. It's not. It's not going to be a real number. Um, so what's really what's the, what's the point there? Right. Exactly. And so, like to that point, when you are making that shift away from tracking, you know, having OSHA recordables be gospel, you kind of got to tell everyone, hey, brace for impact, because now that we're getting people to start trust us on that, we're not going to flip out every time something's reported. You're going to see a spike in OSHA recordables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the big one. Great point. Yeah, that's, that's a really that's a really interesting point because as you kind of start to see. Um, that's some of the first conversations that I end up having with with leaders, um, especially leaders higher in organizations, is that as you start to go down a, a path of, of honesty in your organization to where, to where the bad news is embraced and, and you develop a culture of honesty, then your your incident rates, your numbers are going to ultimately go up, and you should view that as a very positive thing. And that's so I'm going to call you on that, a hard Sam. conversation to have at first. Yeah, go ahead. i, I got to call you on something. Uh-huh. You called them leaders, but I think – so I'm just going to plug plug an idea, it's, uh-huh. you know. Don't take it personally. No, no, go ahead. Um, yeah, like leaders uh, are good ideas. Sure. And the people that are in those positions are typically, I, I would probably call them authorities. There you go, yeah. I agree not necessarily you. leaders. No, I agree with you. Just, just, just you know, because we're going down this path of how do we define a safety uh, professional or safety champion. Right. And the more I think about it, the more I think we just need to be really careful with our words, you know, sure. like just like what is, what exactly is a leader? What does that mean? And, and all this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and. You know, and I think doing this is going to really help us out if we really get our ducks in a row on like what's what. Right. And then you know, and then also, I'm drawing a little bit from Scrum. Are, are you guys familiar with Scrum? I think I mentioned this too. Yeah, we've we've, we've talked some about it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If it's not really. And I'm not I'm not a Scrum master or anything like that. Yeah. 
Uh, I always like that project. job title. That's a cool job. Yeah. Title. Oh, that's so cool. I thought it sounds be like scrum, pirate scrum lord. That would be yeah, scrum lord. <laughs> I was thinking like scrum the deck. You know? Um, but uh, you know, I, I I read a book on it, and so I know some things about it. I'm not a master at it, um, but and and in fact, that would probably be a good person to interview at some point that as a scrum be. master. But but um, one of the things that they do is they are very transparent. Like everyone knows what everyone else is making. Like everyone knows what the salaries are. There's, mm-hmm. it's very flat, you know, like they don't really, they just have a team of people that come together every time there's a problem. And then there's also uh, a huge emphasis put on communication. Like, and uh, I think Toyota uses uh, the principles of, it's also known as agile mm-hmm. project management. But when, like in Toyota, when there's an issue on the, on the assembly line, the whole assembly line gets shut down and everybody, it's not like you just sit there and wait. Like if you're down on the, on the end, you don't just sit there and wait and you're like, nah, whatever, it's not my problem. No, you go and you, everyone comes together and they all talk about what the issue is and they all try to find a solution together. And that's, that's a, one of the principles of scrum. And so, you know, you, you know, as much as I hate meetings, uh, there are probably a lot of meetings in scrum, Mm -hmm. but it's about communication really. You know, what's interesting so, is that yeah. that Kaizen kind of principle yeah. is, I can't remember his name, I think it's uh, Taishi Ono, uh, one of the kind of key leaders that were, were pushing those, uh, in the beginning of Kaizen and manufacturing. He had said something, something along the lines of, you can either be... You, it's not something you dip your toe in. You got to be all in. If you're all, if you're, if you're just dipping your toe in, you're just going to make matters worse. Right. And I think it's with 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 this. I think there's a lot of things that people will look in and be like, "Hey, that'd be great for our culture," and they would pick these right. you know morsels of it and be like, "Hey, we should do that. I, we should do we should do parts of that instead yeah. of like adopting the entire uh, you know culture right. shift." It's a, it's a, such a holistic thing, and that's why you know. Hundred uh, percent. People people struggle with that. Uh, you when you go down this hop this hop kind of rabbit hole or down the hop path, the hop journey, um, the harder conversation. And I won't I won't open up this can of worms too much because we've already been going for an hour and a half plus. So we'll, we'll wrap up soon. <laughs> but I think it's interesting because a lot of people want to start down the hop and the hop path and go. Yeah, you know that's great. Uh, I'll take I'll take some of those. Um, but you guys can keep the blame fixes nothing part. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, I, because you start you start having this conversation of you know what if you want to go down this path of hop, you really have to start exploring a path of just culture. It's the culture, right. you, exactly. you really have to go down the path of of, of, of are you going to, are you going to remain um, in retributive justice or are you going to expand over to more restorative justice? Are you going to really lean into those principles because of the shift of your assumption? Because the the principles are just that, right? I mean. Until you really fix the assumptions uh, under the principles, you can't just take the hot principles and throw them on the wall and go, "Okay, we're good," right? It's just like organizations; it's the same place. If you if you get into any of Edgar Shine stuff, um, it calls out a lot of organizations on that. Where you've got this beautiful little poster on the wall that says that, "Hey, this is what our organization stands for. This is our core values." But you see something that doesn't support those in a lot of actions uh, through uh, at all levels of the organization, and that tells you that your assumptions are off, right? Your your assumptions are not really you know, right. So, um, you have to target those assumptions really first. Uh, and then you can kind of get into your, your, your real principles of the, of, of human and organizational performance. That's really where they're coming from. Um, but you have to be willing to take all of that stuff and move forward in a holistic 
approach because I hear that a lot of times when I have these conversations. You know, that's fine. We're going to go down that path. That's we, we like that. That's cool. That sounds good. That'll work for our culture. We'll take that piece of it. We'll take this piece of it. But um, we're not changing the way that we handle discipline at all. If there's a if there's a rule broken, <laughs> we're just we're just going to shake hand people. Period. Right. Yeah. We're, we're, and I'm going to call you on that one again. Right. Punishment. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when I first started at, at one of my one of the positions I had, um, I remember having a conversation with my supervisor and I was looking on this piece of paper and for everybody that had a recordable, I had their name, their supervisor's yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then what happened and stuff. And, and I'm what, closing my eyes because I'm, I'm, I'm leaving can see my face because I can think of an organization that does that exact same thing right mm-hmm. now. I'm just sure. In my head. I'm sure. Yeah. It goes, I, out, on, it goes out on a daily report. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Well, here's the thing is that it, and then it shows their, the punishment that they received. And mm-hmm. I asked the question, I said, I said, uh, they got punished because they got hurt. And, and I remember being like corrected. No, 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 they were no, 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 no one got punished. They were disciplined <laughs> and, and they weren't punished. And they, I mean, I mean, discipline, they weren't disciplined it wasn't because, because they, they got hurt. <laughs> right? It's because they violated, they violated some safety rule. And I'm like, okay, this sounds an awful lot like lipstick on a pig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I had a dude, I had a gunnery sergeant when I was in the Marine Corps and I got hurt. My gunnery sergeant, um, Actually, my, my unit deployed, and then I got assigned to a reserve unit, and they had this chip on their shoulder with active duty guys. Like, I don't know why, but mm-hmm. they did not treat me very well at all. I had right. a bad experience. <laughs> and, and so I, I had an injury, uh, which is why I was non-deployable, and I was getting treatment for it, and the doctor gave me a limited duty chip. So I was on restricted work duty, basically. Right. And uh, there was a certain uh, job that really no one liked to do. Uh, they called it guard duty and you have to uh, guard the barracks essentially. Right. And on my limited duty chit, it said no guard duty. So what, what this guy did is he crossed out guard and replaced it with the word barracks. And then he told me to come over and sign up for barracks duty. And, and I said, wow, I'm like confused. Like what, what do you mean? You just crossed out guard duty and called it barracks duty. <laughs> And I said, I can't, this is, it says right here on my chair, I'm not supposed to do this. He goes, no, it doesn't say you can't do barracks duty. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh gosh, come on. And it comes back to people. Why do people think it's a loophole somehow? Yeah. We're really, no, min- it's being an asshole. Well, we're, okay. we're, we're really mincing words when we say discipline. You're a hundred percent right. And I, I was, I was a little, I was a little unsure where you were going when you said authority versus leader. But I think yeah. when, when you parallel it with, yeah. the discipline versus punishment. I, I definitely right. see your thought process and right. I a hundred percent agree because, yeah. because it's never positive. It, mm. It's always something negative when we say discipline, it really is punishment. And right. on, frankly, that's how the frontline view it. When well, it, they're on the receiving end, it's always punishment. Sure. It's never, Oh, I was disciplined. Right. Organizations, organizations roll all those kind of terms into the, to mean the same thing. I, ca- I call them the ability words where we say responsibility, <laughs> accountability, all that kind of stuff, culpability, mm. and then you know we can throw discipline in there. But all those words mean the same thing, right? We mean them as the same thing, and it means you're beating, right? It's, it's going to be your beating for whatever it was, where we discover post-event that you, you violated a rule or you had something like that happen. We're going to extract our pound of flesh from you and try to teach you a lesson. And I think that's where you really have to shift the view on that. Or set that, the example. Right, set the example. Well, if we don't, things are going to be a madhouse. People just do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And we, we've all been part of those conversations, right? And that's kind of where I was going with that holistic approach is many organizations want to go down the hop path, but they're not willing to set down the stick. And I've heard the uh, 
And it's hard for me because when, when I'm sitting across somebody I really respect that's non-safety from the operations point, it's just like, well, how do you fix stupid, you know? Yeah. And then that seems to be their argument. They fall on so like hop sounds great, but you're just removing removing well, accountability from not, those yeah. individuals that are just plain mm-hmm. going to always disobey and well, always and go against the grain. I, I think that you have a couple couple different things. There. I heard Bob Edwards. Um, I'd sit in a Bob Edwards class not too long ago, and he 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 laid out this really really kind of Bob's a storyteller. If you haven't sat in a Bob Edwards hop class, you totally should. Um, He's got this very it's, – it's much better than my Appalachian kind of redneck accent. He's got this very smooth Tennessee kind of southern draw, which is nice. It's very, very nice to listen to anyway, so nice. it sounds great with the story. Um, but uh, somebody had asked him that question. Like, well, how do you – how do you – what's the difference, right? If you have – you know, if somebody broke a rule, they broke a rule. It's that simple, right? You should punish them. And he gives this example of kind of going out onto the floor in the organization that he used to work for and sees this an employee uh, in, a, in a JLG kind of up – they're wearing a harness, you know, they're tied off, their leg straps are undone, all this kind of bad stuff that you kind of picture. And he goes, well, it's one of our golden rules. So technically I'm supposed to fire that employee, mm-hmm. right? He's violating one of our most sacred rules, right? The stuff that kills us. Um, and so he brings the employee down, he starts talking to them and he's like, yeah, I was, I just stopped for a little bit. You know, we're trying to get this done. This is, this is really priority. I stopped to get, you know, to, to go get some water and get a snack real quick, 10 minutes, I sit down and, you know, if you're a gentleman wearing a harness and you sit down with those leg straps, it doesn't feel too great, right? So he popped the leg straps off, sat down, did that, and just didn't even think about it. went right back to work, right? And he's like, this is a 40-year guy that's just an awesome employee, you know? And so are you going to term that guy because he had a brain fart? Is that what really – is that really the right answer? Are we going to term that guy and extract our pound of flesh Um, And because of consequences? We have to manufacture consequences, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he kind of he coupled that with this other story. He's like, well, I go out into the into the floor and I see this this employee. It's a it's a contractor that's working for us, um, not wearing a harness, you know, doing their thing. I'm like, oh, crap, again. Right. <laughs> I pull mm-hmm. this employee down, different person. And he's like halfway down, like the guy's already yelling at him, going, don't you know who my dad is? Blah, 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 blah. Like there's an, there's a chance to remove that person from that system. Right? It's really- <laughs> Context matters a bunch, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's really the – I think that's what's, what's probably curative there is the insertion of context, right? When those situations, uh, context matters and it matters a lot. But I think uh, there's a big shift that has to happen in our organizations and our thinking around um, – organizational justice, right? We really have to go back to the point to, is it really our role as an organization to extract justice yeah. from justice, people? You say. Right. Yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> and, and they, they had a, there's a very good safety justice, justice league. league podcast that they talk <laughs> about, talk about justice. Um, <laughs> so head over and listen to that. And what is that episode two, Nate? Is that what it is? I think it's episode yeah, two. It is. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. But, uh, but I think you really have to shift what that, what that looks like for you. Um, I think I think uh, if you ever have read Decker's Just Culture, it does a really good job of sending you on this path of, of thinking of that. Of is it really our role as an organization to to seek justice? Is that really what we should do? Um, and in in organizations where we're talking about human and organizational performance, it's usually very high risk organizations, anyways, mm-hmm. to where the 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 common outcome for a lot of stuff happening is death. Do we really need to manufacture consequence because we're never going to top death anyways? Right? Does, is manufacturing consequence and holding people to that consequence is that it's really like you doing got a, anything? You got for a us? funny way of showing you really care about me. Thanks right. for my, you know. Right. <laughs> thanks for right. thanks for showing me the turnstile. Right? right. And and I've had this conversation with several other folks. They always bring me this question about golden rules, about the rules to live by. Golden rules, this and special rules oh. that. And, I, and most you can imagine my opinion on them. Um, 
I won't, again, I won't dive down that path too much. But if we just take those rules and say, well, if you break it, you're out of here, it really just doesn't do a lot of good for us, I don't believe. And, and again, you just have to look at it through that lens of context. I think what the, that's super important is those situations are rarely, if ever, black or white. You really have to look at it and try what's to your, understand. What's your thought on those, Nate, those rules to live by? Well, again, context. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Deming, mm-hmm. right? Deming said, where there is fear, there are incorrect figures. Right. Okay, so, so, um, so what causes fear kills learning. Wouldn't you agree? Yep. Logically. Right. So if we, if we have incorrect figures, if we don't know what's going on, we can't learn because the worst problems are the ones we don't know about. Mm-hmm. So we know that fear ca- kills learning. All right, so now we have a hard truth that we're facing here. Uh, we have to make a choice. Um, you can either have accountability or you can only pick one accountability or you can maybe save a life down the road. So which one is more important to us? This accountability, this discipline, whatever we want to call it. Is that more important than preventing the next guy from getting killed or, or seriously hurt? Because we have to make that decision. What's more important to us? Retribution to punish somebody that we can't, you know, we can't let that person get away with this, you know, but is that, is that worth the cost? It's that fundamental conversation, a fundamental idea that Sam brought up of not everything needs a reaction right. or needs 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 an action. Right. You know, I think really telling people like, hey, this really that that's a that's a poignant uh, thing to say that you know this this is by not doing anything we're potentially saving a life down the road right. because if we scold this employee make an example of this employee we dis we punish them sorry we punish them it's it's gonna get around fast minimum approach distance not tying off you're not gonna hear about those right right. nobody's gonna share like hey we have this one area in this air in this in this uh top of this boiler we physically can't tie off and we know asking for scaffolding is out of the question so we just make it work well i think i think the 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 path that nate's going down is exactly it um and it still kind of gets back to that piece of of being accepting of the not so great stuff, mm-hmm. right? Being able to hear that and not freaking out, not having that crazy reaction, because those things. I mean, when you have that situation where you go, "Oh yeah, we almost died," <laughs> those are the situations we want to know about, right? And then we want to have that conversation where they say, "If you think that one's bad, let me show you this spot over here." Or, right. "Oh my God, like Bob almost, yeah, he almost was beheaded over there. It was ridiculous." Those are the stories we want to hear about, and the way yeah. that we react, we don't hear about them. And that's the fear for me. That, that's why I kind of pick on the golden rule so much is that we take the stuff that we know is super-duper dangerous, and we say, if you tell us anything bad around those things, basically, you're going to be fired. So we just don't hear anything about those things. Yeah. So we take the things exactly. that are super-critical and are, are the, the things that we know kill people frequently – and we create a, a culture of silence and fear around those things. And then we're surprised when they continue to kill people. And that just seems, exactly. here, here's, here's, my, here's my plug for my conversation earlier, that just seems kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, it does. It does. Well, communication is, is the cornerstone of learning. Right. We all agree that learning is the heart of safety. That is what we have mm-hmm. to do. I would say it's the only, order to pretty much the only safety. thing we've got, right? It's the only it's real the only thing, thing we've got. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And so... You know, building up, we, you know, what what should we do? What's 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 actionable for the safety person? 
for the safety champion. Creating two-way communication channels mm. is right, something that you should do, right? And then identifying barriers to those communication channels and aggressively eliminating those things. Right. And then one of the things that you said earlier, Sam, was uh, market those ideas. Get out there and say them over and over and over again. Be the Coca-Cola of safety mm-hmm. justice, right. basically. Yeah. The more times you say it, and there are studies that have, have demonstrated this, that the more times you see something, the more times you hear something, it doesn't even matter. Well, it probably does matter the context somewhat, but it doesn't. you don't even have to notice it. But the more times you have an impression on you of one thing or, or another, the more attracted you are to it. Right. And so the more that you plug it in your organization, even if you're not very good at at um, you know convincing anybody, don't try to don't your expectation should be just get it out there. Yeah. Don't try yeah. to convince people because just getting them familiar with it gives you influence. It, it actually does a lot more than you think it does. Right. Spot on. You know, Sam, I think you should have someone on who's a uh, traditional safety pro. You I guys can should. have it out. I think that'd be a pretty cool conversation <laughs> to listen in on. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I know you and I had, had this conversation, Nate, that, and I'm sure you get them too. They're out there. I don't know if they would come on. If if, if I don't know, man, they, I'll throw that I'll throw that offer out there right now. If there if there's traditional safety you, folks out there that would would like to come on and we can we can go <laughs> round and round on some of that stuff, that's fine. Um, but I, I think it's even to that point uh, that we were kind of making earlier. I think we do have to acknowledge, you know, that that with a lot of traditional safety stuff, I, and I catch myself doing this too. I like to beat it up, and it's probably not good. That's probably not a great thing if we if we want to build bridges, right? to try to grow forward. I like to like to pick on that stuff. I think we do have to call dumb, dumb. I do, I do think that. Um, but I think that there's also there, there's room where we need to continue to have that conversation as, as Nate, you kind of mentioned, yeah. um, we need to be a little more understanding and try to understand why they're clinging to those things. So I, I kind of joke when I say we'll go round and round, but I think it would be interesting to have that conversation. If, if we could have a civilized conversation <laughs> around those I, have, I, have, I have a question, Nate. I don't know how, how long ago you uh, went through academia, but I'm curious what concepts are being reinforced in academia. Is it closer to HOP or is it more traditional safety? Mm, no. Yeah, well, I went to a, an engineering school, and it was very much like, you know, no, there was no HOP. Hmm. But I, I graduated in 2012. Okay. So it was, it was a ways back. Gotcha. Um, oh, I was going to mention that, um, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, I think is really important. Um, and you know, to, to the point of trying to build bridges with these people, I, I firmly believe that every single person is a mix of good and bad ideas. Yeah. Everybody has some good, no, no one's a hundred percent good ideas guaranteed. And so it's really important that when you look at a person that you separate that that's a person. And then they also have ideas, right? Mm-hmm. The ideas right. are going to be where we find our leaders, the people, you know, I think that we should, you know, we should love our neighbors. You know, we should show them, we should overlook the bad ideas as much as we can. Now, if you're speaking the truth that that's a bad idea, call it a bad idea. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You know, you can't, Sometimes you, it's important to point out the bad ideas for people because they're learning, especially the young safety professionals that are coming in and they are this all brand new to them and they need to have, you know, like a, a good, secure place to get quality information right, from, right. you know, so that they're not misguided into this, you know, the dinosaur uh, realm of thinking. But 
it's really, you know, it's always important. One of the things I always try to do, unless this person is toxic, in which case, like, for example, on LinkedIn, there's like a handful of people I've blocked, <laughs> but, but like there are toxic people, yeah. there are trolls and yeah. those people, you know, you just, just ignore them. Yeah. But you know, when there's people with bad ideas, you know, pick the good ideas, try to find their good ideas and the, the you know, focus on those things, but don't throw the person out because they have bad ideas. Right. Right. You know, and I, I think that that's a really interesting piece. I, I kind of started to, to say there, I know you and I talked about it a little bit before though, is, uh, you find those people very quickly on LinkedIn. It seems like when you start throwing down anything that's even <laughs> close so to hop, um, I mean, I've got some wacky, some wacky DMS, it's like you hippie, you, know, you, you dirty hippie oh, talking yeah. about your warm and fuzzy safety crap. You know, oh, I get you accused just that I'm going to get people, people killed. And yeah, oh yeah, you, I if you don't beat people, how do you show you love them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, kind of, kind of, kind of conversation. Yeah, it's almost like you're arguing child rearing techniques. Right, right? it's 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 yeah. so, it's, it's real just, tri- uh, it's, yeah. it's it's insane. Uh, I would say that that conversation has gotten smaller and smaller because I'm similar to you, Nate. I don't, I have not, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, this is going to happen because I'm going to say it now, but I have not blocked anyone on LinkedIn yet. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to have a challenge. But, accepted. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's funny because, you know, if, exactly. if, if you can't, you can't have an, you cannot have a, a real conversation with somebody that's arguing like that. Right. So right. I, I'm just like, if they're flustered and mad, like I, I you just can't. Right. I'm like, yeah. all right, I'm just well, not going to talk to you. If you want to calm down and talk to me and you want to talk, you know, kind of logically, that's fine. Right. But yes. uh, I clearly have struck a nerve somewhere with you. And, and I don't well, you can make how. a good example out of bad ideas. <laughs> right, right. You know, they're great learning opportunities, right. cautionary tales. I mean, my brother, and I, I love my brother. I get along with him great. But like when we were kids, he was uh, he got into all kinds of trouble. And he was a great learning source for me because I'm like, okay, don't do this. Don't do that. <laughs> that kind of thing. So you can use these right, guys. Some right, of these trolls, right. there, are, there are opportunities, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, you can – you can point out where they're wrong yeah. and that there's people reading that don't, they don't say anything, but they're reading, they are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a way to champion those good ideas and it, and it, you know, win with logic, you know, have the better argument, right. um, you know, stick to your, your solid principles and your experience and everything and explain why these people are wrong. Take the time to do it because there will be people watching it and learning from it. So I, I think it is valuable. But it, it, but then you know some people cross over to the toxics, they yeah. they cross the line and it's like yeah I I don't think that that's constructive at all and those are the only people I'll block. Right, right, and you know fortunately for me uh, most most of those that I have found have have at least um, they they will not do that in in daylight they will not do that in, in the sunshine they will send that in a direct message. <laughs> Right, they're like I get it. I'm not. Daylight. I'm not going to. I'm not going to let everyone else see this. I'm going to send yeah. it to you directly. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I will have to say, I want to caveat that though. I have blocked people, but if they do reach out to me, there's always room for redemption. Right. I believe right. that very strongly. If someone were to reach out and be like, "Hey, man, it's having a bad day," yeah. and I probably, sh- I was probably, I shouldn't have done, I shouldn't have said those things. And right. you, you know, if you don't mind, would you mind unblocking me? I'd like to still engage with you and stuff. Right. Um, I will. I will unblock anybody who were to reach out to me like that. I do not hold grudges. No, right? no, and no. I, th- I think that's that's something to clarify there too. Is when, when we're talking that conversation, we're talking about folks that are are uh, we're not talking about the the normal kind of rolling around in the comments, kind of shooting ideas mm-hmm. back and forth. We're talking about folks that are get downright and dirty, man. Like yeah. I'm going to burn down your Several house, kind of conversation. Standard deviations <laughs> you know? away from the norm. You don't like People zero. I'm going to burn boundaries. down your house. <laughs> 
exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I tell you what, guys, we've been going for over two hours. <laughs> so, what do you guys think? You want to call Gosh. it here? Sounds good. Yeah, it's probably good. I think we had a good run. <laughs> that was awesome. What so if if uh, I, it it was kind of what I expected. So I knew that it would be a two parter. So just FYI, this will be a two parter. So Nate, when you're on. <laughs> The first time it was a two-parter. It was Ian's is a two-parter, and then you guys together will be a two-parter. So. That's good. I just thought it'd be There's awesome. A lot of good content. Yeah, I thought it'd be awesome because after uh, when when Ian was on, we were having that conversation, and and uh, he listened to the ones with you, and and I thought it'd be cool to have you guys on together. So I thought it was awesome. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, just, great. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, it was great talking to you, Nate. Yes. Well, man. Oh, man. How. Cool was that? That was part two of two with the amazing and the great Nate Brayman, the awesome, the super cool Ian Allison. That was awesome. I had a blast with that conversation. We were really, really uh, kind of sleepy towards the end. I know I was sitting here pounding, pounding monsters, and Ian was drinking coffee, and we're <laughs> we just kept going and going and going because we just didn't want to stop because it was fun. We had a blast. Uh, make sure you head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Slide into the DM, shoot me an email, send me a text, give me a call, all that kind of stuff. Let me know if you like it, love it, hate it, gotta have it, all that kind of fun stuff. Until next time, it is Sam Goodman, The Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. Specializing in human and organizational performance, human performance improvement, culture change planning and support, and general safety and compliance. Make sure you check out Hominum. That's H-O-M-I-N-U-M, H-P-I.com, Hominum, H-P-I.com. They offer OSHA 10 and 30-hour classes regularly in the greater Phoenix area. Check them out at Hominum, H-P-I.com, or send an email to phxosha at gmail.com.